We are back from vacation with an interview with Tom Limoncelli about time management for activists and a spoilery review of the FX Hulu show, Mrs. America. All this and more on The Leftscape. Hey, I'm Robin Renee, and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and we are starting off our show with three random facts and the news. And we're back. It's been a minute. Yes, yes, we are back. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I need a vacation for my vacation, but yes, we're back. (laughs) The first random fact is that there was somebody that did a acoustic test on Stonehenge and they did this by making a one twelfth model scale model of... did they get the one from spinal tap? No. Oh. <laughs> but they made it they made a, a very accurate uh one twelfth scale model of the entire site with the absolute latest information of where all the stones were placed and they they made the stones in such a way that they had the same acoustic properties as the real stones. And they also placed microphones and speakers in various places to test what was going on. And they were using, to make sure it was accurate, they used the frequency that was 12 times higher than, than uh, normal. So it was all ultrasonic. But what they discovered was that the way everything was done acoustically, anybody inside the circle could hear music or or people speaking like at the center, and it was amp- and the way the 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 sound was reverberating, it amplified it without giving it echo. So it was like surround sound, kind of. But if you were outside the circle, you couldn't hear it. Oh, that's interesting. I, I find this wow. completely fascinating. And we'll pl- add a link to this. Uh, and the link to the article has a link to the to the journal paper where they publish this information. If you guys are interested in Stonehenge, I've always been fascinated with it. I just think it's really cool. So, nice. <laughs> so that I like, like that fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, my fact is in answer to the question, can my employer require me to report whether I'm experiencing symptoms of COVID-19? And the answer to that is yes. According (laughs) to the EECO guidance, last updated June 17, 2020, employers covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act may inquire whether employees are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19. These symptoms include fever, chills, shortness of breath, or sore throat. So if you think you can just refuse to answer, you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. The genes for sex and hair color are, are on different chromosomes and are inherited independently of each other, except in cats and hamsters. Uh. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. And for cats, whether they're calico, tortoiseshell, orange, black, brown, or gray, the cat's fur color is derived from those two dominant colors, black and red, really, or, you know, 
variations on red. I guess most people really say orange. And the color for uh, the color genes are contained within the X chromosome. Hmm. So that's how, you know, it turns out that most orange cats are male because if they have an X and a Y, then they will automatically be orange. If, and if, most if it's an orange tortoise, most, most tortoise shells are female. Right. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. interesting. I think I might. But there are exceptions because I keep yep. seeing, you know, people post pictures of their orange female cat and everybody going, oh, how remarkable. Cause... Yeah. Yeah. No, I was looking at that. Yeah. It's like you, if you're you can get the two recessive genes for the orange color, which mm. is possible. And there's other mutations and things like that. I've been I don't know. I've been geeking out on. That's awesome. Genetics. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think you know, maybe we'll, we'll do a we'll do a Geekscape uh, segment in a future show about cats. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally down for that. Yes, <laughs> I, I I firmly believe that some cats are. I don't know if it's the genes like that. I think that they're like put together like stitched quilts, like patchwork or something, <laughs> because they've got some of the mother and some of the father in different spots. So. That I don't know how that works with genes. Yeah. And also, I guess, like, all right, we, we, we should save this for the segment, the future segment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This oh, is another no. one of those things where we should be recording ourselves, but now we are. We are. We are. <laughs> so those were some random facts. But before we move on to the news, we just want to send a shout out to our Leftscape listeners. And if you're new to our show... Hello and welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday and subscribe to our website, leftscape.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer. And while you're at it, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leftscape. Follow us <laughs> in, on Twitter, Twitter at leftscape. And follow us on Instagram at, you guessed it, at leftscape. <laughs> and to support this podcast, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash leftscape, where there's extra content, fun perks and opportunities. And you can join us at the front row seats level for as little as $1 a month. We thank you so much. Later on in the show, we have an interview with Tom Limoncelli. I'm very excited about that. Tom is a longtime activist, a friend of mine. He is also an expert in time management. So he's putting those thoughts together and he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, time management for activists and what we can do to uh, make the most of our time and efforts. And it's really important for sure right now. And um, and the one thing I have to say, I'm a little bit annoyed that we, we talk so much, we talked about politics and so much that I think some of this is probably going to wind up in our Patreon because it's a very, we had a really long conversation. So in other words, you didn't manage your time when you interviewed me. <laughs> <I> didn't. <laughs> We got carried away with that, but hey, it was it was cool. But we were talking in our last Ikigai segment about dealing with email, and I really wanted to talk with him about that, and I didn't manage my time because I never got to ask him the, that pertinent question. So maybe if we get some extra insight from him about how to deal with and delete your email, <laughs> I might try to add that to our show notes, but I, I'm not sure about that. But I, anyway, we'll have uh, to have him back. To sharing this conversation. We'll have to have him back another time. Yes. Oh, yes. And he's also been the, the guy who's been doing our uh, our joke ads in the last 
batch of shows that we've had for like the last couple of months. Yes, they're very funny. Our our sponsors about not wearing <laughs> pants during meetings and I'm can not wearing of, pants right now. Yeah, right. Neither, <laughs> neither am I. <laughs> it would we and and you know out of the three of us, Robin would be the one who you would think wouldn't be wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should get to the news. Yeah, we've been avoiding been it. News happening. <laughs> <laughs> Although the news has been so, I mean, you know, we've been off for a month, so like, I keep, I kept making mental notes, like, oh, we'll want to talk about that, and oh, we'll want to talk about that. But it be, it's, you know, it's the normal barrage of. It's 2020. If it's 10, if it's a 10, a couple of days old, it's old. Nobody, you know, people think it's five years ago. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the big news really is that the presidential election is coming up on November 3rd, and that is really fucking soon. So <laughs> we just really want to remind everybody register to vote, double check your registration. You can sign up for absentee and early voting and other stuff. And um, if you want to go to nass.org slash can I vote, that gives you a lot of places to to click and take care of anything you want to do in terms of your voting. And I, I always check. I mean, I've been registered for years at the same place, but I always make sure. This is the National Association of Secretaries of State, actually. Hmm. Ah. Their Can I Vote page has a lot of links that can help you. Make yeah, because sure every, every state is different. Their mm -hmm. rules, every state has different rules. And I checked this morning to see if I was registered to vote. I kind of knew I was. And it says I've been registered, you know, basically at the same place since 1993. So that's pretty much when I moved up here to Rahway. So I'm still registered. Mm. And, and in New Jersey, I believe we are all getting ballots mailed to us. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't and, sure about that either. And we, we are automatically getting uh, yes, like out. we did. For I, the I had sent in a form anyway to get it too. And our deadline in New Jersey is Tuesday, October thirteenth, twenty twenty. The deadline for registering to by vote. mail to vote. Okay. And it's also the same deadline to register in person to vote. It's Tuesday, October thirteenth. The early voting period runs from Saturday, September nineteenth, twenty twenty, to Monday, November second, twenty twenty. The dates and hours are going to vary where you live. So like if you're not in New Jersey, those dates are not necessarily your dates. Please check because it's it's good to be aware of all this stuff for sure. Yes. And, and I think what is it? every the, the national push is to get your ballots if you're mailing your ballot to mail it by October 20th or 21st mm -hmm. to make oh, sure true. that it gets where it needs to be on time. I'm planning to drive to my drop county off. county yeah. electoral office and drop it off in mm -hmm. person because I'm not going to go to the polls. Yeah, unless, I was planning to do that too. Yeah, unless I decide like to say the hell with COVID and I'm going to go volunteer to be a poll worker. I don't know. I've been thinking about it. Uh, I know they want young people to do it. I know they want young people to do it, but I'm not as old as the people I see sitting behind the table when I go there. <laughs> so you're young I, for a poll worker. I am. Yeah. I am young for a poll worker. That's yeah. that's like a really weird backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I know my dad. My dad did it uh, up until 
you know, he was in his late eighties and I, I don't think, no, not when he was 90 cause he was living here in, in, in assisted living. But when he was in his eighties, he was, he was a poll worker. He did that when he retired and mm. yeah, I would, I would like to give the ladies in my local polling place a break this year because they are not young. <laughs> they are very much not young. The other news that I brought to the table, which is just was over this weekend. It was the uh, the boat parade that ended up being a metaphor for either. I'm hoping I, my my hope is is the this what happened with these boats was a metaphor for the Republican Party and not for the country in general, mm. because what happened was uh, it was a very beautiful, calm day and all of these people got in their boats in this lake at Texas and the people in the big boats wanted to be, you know, showing off. So they were moving too fast and making lakes that swamped the Trump boat parade. Right. So they had yes, the Trump, Trump flags boat. and all kinds of. Uh, yeah. Stuff. Um, yeah. Attached. And if you haven't been on, if you've been in a coma over the weekend, you don't know about this. Right. <laughs> so boats was, sank. Boats, boats sank. sank. Five boats sank. I think the article I, I linked to, which is the NPR reporting, says they've recovered three of the sunk boats, but two of them are still underwater. Just the whole thing about these people, you know, showing off their penis replacements. And and if they were in a bigger boat, they didn't give, didn't give a shit about the little guys. It, it's very... It's it a feels, metaphor. It's it really feels is. very much like... Like what all these people, it's like narcissists on parade, you know, <laughs> or libertarians. I got mine and fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's just those pictures. The pictures are, are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I only hope it is a metaphor for what is to come with this, with this presidency. And I just hope he doesn't, take us all down with them yeah Yeah, right (laughs) yeah i'm gonna try to look at the positive spin of that this particular metaphor (laughs) (laughs) my my positive spin is that they got a refreshing dip in the water (laughs) (laughs) so they'll wake up people can wake up somehow right (laughs) oh man so my other funny news because you know the world is so weird this is just weird so you know how they say that if you're really angry you want to wait a minute and calm down before you act or speak or write an email or whatever you know write it put it away see how you're doing so this goes for tennis as well (laughs) is that the u.s open novak djokovic who is the number one player on the guy's side he lost a point at the U.S. Open. It was he was in the fourth round, like going into the eighth, going into the quarterfinals anyway. And he lost a point, got angry and frustrated, and just like hit a wild ball, which hit a line guard square in the throat. Oh my god! Oh my god! And the guy keeled over, and now he's out of the tournament. He was oh. so shocked and upset because like he didn't mean it at all. It just was like, bam, and. He just like clocked this guy. Oh my God. So he's eliminated. <laughs> so oh, like, wow. I'm like, wow, that oh, is, that's another metaphor. <laughs> Do, was there a regulation that they cited that 
Yeah, you're not allowed you to get if you hit somebody, it. even if it wasn't intentional. I mean, that was like it was. What over. is it? What is it about tennis that that <laughs> that pulls in all of these really angry men? <laughs> yeah, I they I saw that that they were interviewing McEnroe to talk about this too, and I I but I didn't hear what he said. But I I thought to myself, McEnroe, I wonder why they're asking him. Now, <laughs> yeah. now I understand. Yeah, he was the classic angry guy. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think uh, Djokovic is typically that way. He's not like the tantrum guy, but <laughs> well, he, he is now. He is now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, for the rest of the tournament. So I'm really impressed that you said his name because I'm reading it and I'm going, oh boy, I'm glad Robin's talking about this. <laughs> well, no Robin's missed tennis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, there's all those accents and diacritical marks over vowels. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> That's funny. I thought of another bit of news. Oh, ah. okay. I just, I just want to tell everyone happy bye, bye visibility month. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, um, We'll talk more about it in our next show for sure, but I was forgetting that it's, it's a thing. It's September, so. I can see you. <laughs> yes, I'm visible. <laughs> so that is uh, all the news we can handle today. <laughs> Hello. We want to thank you so much for listening to The Leftscape and for being someone out in the world thinking about, talking about, and crafting the shape of progressive conversation. We love creating this show for you, and we hope you find value in the discussions we bring to the table. If you do, please take a moment right now, go to your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. If you can, make it five stars. Good reviews really help us reach more people engaged in politics and culture like you. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out about the Leftscape. This podcast is sponsored by wearing pants during video conferences. You tell yourself you won't stand up. You promise yourself you won't stand up. Then you forget and you stand up. Next time, try wearing pants during video conferences. On sale now wherever webcams are sold. And now back to our podcast. Well, I am very, very happy to be here with Tom Limoncelli. Tom is a time management author and trainer from New Jersey who also happens to be an internationally recognized bisexual activist. So he's been my comrade in arms for many years <laughs> as an activist. It's really cool to, uh, to have you here. Thank you. And, it's oh. a pleasure to be here. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, today... Tom has some advice for us on time management for activists to share, uh, to help us get more done and advice about achieving better focus so there's less to do. So I know I, for one, really need this advice. So I'm really glad to uh, be able to talk about this with you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I, uh, I even got a haircut, so I'd look good for all of your listeners. <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah, so... Um, and also, it's a, been a pleasure, you know, knowing you for so many years. Yes. <laughs> oh, the stories. Anyway, <laughs> I 
I know you really do know a lot about time management. You've got several books out, including uh, Time Management for System Administrators and The Practice of System and Network Administration, which is volume one, and then volume two, The Practice of Cloud System Administration. So that is a lot. And I'm wondering if uh, sysadmin is where you first started to understand and define time management as you work with it and teach it today. Yeah, so my time management story begins with IT, but also I was just a very busy person in general. I, I had a day job working in IT, night and on weekends I was doing organizing. I had you know a lot of relationships and that kind of stuff, and I realized that I have um, uh, that I was messing up. Actually, I was you know forgetting appointments. I was you know promising to to do something and then you know forgetting all that kind of stuff. So I realized I need to get better at this. And I started studying different practices. And um, my time management book is actually kind of just a, a summary of, of what I learned from all sorts of other places. Very cool. So when it comes to activists, what are some of the main uh, pointers about time management that you think it's important for us to know? Well, actually, first, just a, a quick, funny anecdote. When I the first book that I wrote, which was the, the second one that you mentioned, it, uh, I co-wrote it with a friend, and it was over eleven hundred pages long, and it got good reviews. But people would always joke to me that who has time to read such a long book, and <laughs> um, and that's when I realized that time management was a, a really big problem for people working in IT, but also you know all my activist friends and everything else, and and I thought. You know, I went from being bad at this to good through, with all these basically coping mechanisms. What if I just wrote a book that was just, I would spell out all these coping mechanisms. But of course, as an author, I don't say these are coping mechanisms. I say these are techniques that you can use. <laughs> um, but the, the real truth is, is I'm, I'm a time management disaster. I just have all these coping mechanisms that let me fake my way through it and get stuff done when it needs to get done. And when I when I follow all these coping mechanisms, I, I can be very productive. So that's why I kind of, now I you know I, I teach on the subject and and write on the subject because it really transformed not just my career but and my activism but you know my personal life and relationships. So what can activists do? I, I think it really comes down to two things: uh, focus and follow through. So focus is. Am I working on the the most important thing I could be working on right now? And follow through is, am I achieving what I promise? You know, I, I like to encourage people to underpromise and overperform. I think you called it the endless list of doom or something like that. Yes. You make the list that you just, and that's my that's one of my problems. I know it's just like I need to do all the things tomorrow. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. You. Um, I think people often, you know, well, I'll, I'll tell you my, my story. I, you know, initially I thought, oh, I'm a smart person. I could remember things, right? Someone says, you know, can you do this? You know, I, I take an action item at an activist meeting or I read about something and say, oh, I should work on that. And then I forget because I, I shouldn't trust my brain. Human brains are just not made for memorizing long lists of things. And we really put ourselves down when we, or we beat ourselves up when we say, oh, I can't believe I forgot that and stuff. No, believe that you forgot that. The human brain isn't good at that. But the human brain did this miraculous thing. It invented pens and paper. 
and we can <laughs> write this stuff down or put it in our iPhone app or computer or, or whatever. So yeah, the, the very first tip that I usually talk about is maintaining a to-do list. And the problem with that is to-do lists often become the, the never-ending list of doom, right? You have 50 million things on your to-do list. So a simple technique for managing that is have a different list for every day of your life. So if there's something I need to do on Thursday, I put it on Thursday's list. If I call someone and their voicemail says that they're on vacation, they'll be back on Tuesday, I put it on that list for Tuesday. So now I'm more focused because today, I the only thing I look at is today's list. I work on those items. And, and at the end of the day, if I haven't finished everything, well, I used to beat myself up for not finishing my today's list. Now I say, well, a, a much healthier attitude is, did I manage everything on the list, right? Did I, by manage, I mean, did I do the important things and move the unimportant things that I didn't get done to tomorrow's list. So it's kind of like at the end of the day, you shuffle the remaining items to tomorrow's list. Of course, now you're in the situation where tomorrow's list might start going longer and longer, but that's when prioritization becomes important. And it's a technique I call invest five. The first five minutes of the day, I invest a little bit of time in looking at my list and, and prioritizing. And I just mark with a, um, I mean, you could do however you want. I, I, I have a little marking system. I mark the, the things that I need to get done today. I mark those with the letter A. They're my A priorities. And I work on those first. And then if there's time left over, I work on the other things. And this helps me focus on what's important. That sounds really great and useful. When you were balancing a lot of different things, you know, work that sometimes the things that needs to get done is the stuff that needs to get done for everybody else, you know, and it may not be the activist project that feels most important to me. So do you make sure that you set activist time apart every day or every week or how do you manage that piece? Ah, okay. So now you're getting into the more advanced topics because yeah, there's there's different ways of prioritizing and and once you get the basic rudiments down of once you're in the habit of keeping a to-do list. Oh, and by the way, I say written list. Um, you know, now it's you know it's 2020. We we do this with a an app on our phone. Actually, I don't care if you use paper or carve it in stone or an iPhone app or whatever. Whatever system works for you is is a good system, right? And uh, and often people say like, oh, I found this really sophisticated, complex system. It's going to solve all my problems. But then they don't use it after two days because it's too complex. And so I want to recommend everyone just the simpler, the better, because if you, any system is better than the system that you give up on, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but to your question, so the, the more advanced topic is like, maybe you split your day. And I actually have, when I was doing this on paper, I kept two to-do lists per day. At the top of my sheet was work-related stuff, and at the bottom of my sheet was activism-related stuff, stuff that, in theory, I wasn't supposed to do until 5 o'clock, you know, if my boss isn't watching. But sometimes there's that phone call that you have to make during work, and maybe you're lucky enough that you can make a quick phone call during work, and those would go on my my day list instead of my night list. Okay. It's all, it all sounds really great. And it, and I'm just thinking, I'm giving myself anxiety thinking about implementing it and not, and failing. So I definitely, that's my stuff about like fear of not 
getting it done or something like that. But it's interesting that I, I noticed that coming up. So, but I definitely want to try this system because it does sound like once you really get used to it, it just becomes part of your practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really try to emphasize the, the basic, like you got to crawl before you walk and you have to walk before you run. Right. So mm-hmm. crawling is let's just have a to-do list, get in the habit you know, spend 14 days where you commit to trying to use it. And I'm serious about trying because I mean, trying and failing like 50, you know, two weeks of <laughs> failing to use it is very healthy because, you know, don't beat yourself up. Oh, I, I didn't do it yesterday. S- say to yourself, okay, you know, how was yesterday? I didn't use the to-do list at all and I forgot things and I'm, I'm back to square one. Well, this is your opportunity to get better. And it's it's like practicing a musical instrument or anything. The reason you practice is you're not good at it. Right. Um, and you've got to develop that healthy attitude of, actually, a coworker of mine said something really brilliant. He, he played football in high school, and he said that his coach used to tell him when he was uh, lifting weights, focus on one rep at a time, right? Mm, you can't mm-hmm. do 10 reps all at once. You can't do 10 perfect reps all at once. So focus on doing the, the current rep that you're doing right now, focus on doing it as best as you can. And don't think about the previous rep because that's yesterday. You can't change yesterday. And don't think about the next rep because it's not here yet. Just focus on today. And that puts in words better than, I think I spent a whole tra- chapter trying to say that. And I, I'm not a sports person, so, um, but, it, but it really clicked with me. We're, we're all just, you know, today's the most important day. Try to try to focus on that. Very, very good. So there's the other piece about, you know, this is about uh, managing what you have to do. What are your thoughts on minimizing what you need to do? Ah, uh, yeah. Because if I had all the time in the world, I would cure world hunger and fight homophobia and solve racism and... Oh, that's easy. Have time to, have, to get a haircut and right. cook all my meals instead of doing takeout so much. But we don't have. <laughs> we do, there's only 24 hours in a day, and and hopefully people get some sleep. So it's all about prioritization, and that's that's why I use the word investment. You're really investing those first that spending those first five minutes and thinking about like what am I doing today is so important because. Every, every idea feels so good when you have it, right? Every, and it feels important and like, oh yeah, I wanna I'm gonna read that book. Oprah said it's life-changing. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. You know, but um, writing it down gives you a little bit of distance, first of all. And you know, when you look at that list the next day, you're like, uh, I'm not really gonna read that book. I'm not really gonna do this. Or, you know, that's, that's nice. I would like to cure world hunger, but today, I'm going to start by just mailing, you know, clicking on a link to donate to a, a food kitchen, right? So prioritization becomes really important. And and if we're not thoughtful about it, if we don't take the time in the morning to think about what are our goals, then then we're just going to be letting everyone else drive our our priorities, like letting the loudest person at the office or in our organization, you know, drive our agenda. Right, right. So a lot of it has to do with, it, 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 part of it has to do with being realistic, it sounds like. Yeah. Like, what are you 
really going to do today? And what is the one step you can take to get toward that goal? You know, if your interest is the environment, you're not going to talk to Greta Thunberg today right? <laughs> and do something, but there's something that you can do in your, in your immediate space. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, and, and, and it, different days are different, right? Like if you have like a day with like, you know, no meetings, nothing, nothing really scheduled, then that's the kind of day you could look at your to-do list and say, oh, you know, there's that big thing that I never have time to start. That's a, that's a good, today's a good day to, to start that. Or sometimes you have a meet, you have a day where have a hundred appointments and and other things. And those are the days where you look during your invest five and you say, you know, there's one really important thing. I'm going to squeeze that in between all the other stuff. And when I'm super stressed out, those are the days where I just say, okay, I, I just have to pick one thing and start it early in the day and be proud of myself if I get it done or get it started. Right. And 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 sometimes I I wreck it for myself. I say, yeah, I'm going to get this one thing done, and then I start on something else. Like you know, oh, the, oh, you know, I really need to clean out my email inbox, which you know, or or whatever, or or I'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that one thing. About that. Let, let me find that email message about that thing, and in finding that email, I find 50 other emails that are really you know urgent, and I start working on them, and I I destroy my whole process of like trying to prioritize. So when I'm, when I am working on something and trying to focus, it's, it's good to, for me to define what it is or better yet, I try to define what, what's my definition of done is done having, you know, uh, so I, I blog and I do other stuff. So maybe, maybe done is getting to first draft so I can hand it off to someone else. Maybe done is, is the final draft or maybe done is, maybe it's maybe there's 15 parts of the project and I want to get all 15 done today which actually that's terrible you'll never get 15 parts of a project done in one day you should <laughs> pick the first two and be happy that you get that done but but then i have this trick that i play on myself where i turn the goal into like a bumper sticker size thing that i'm going to do today like i need to get to first draft so when i'm looking through my email box for you know what was that quote i was going to use and i see those three other emails that are calling out for my attention, I, I kind of trick myself by saying, nope, that's not on the short path to the one thing I'm trying to do today, which is, you know, get that first draft out. And, and that 80% of the time gives me the push to not get distracted. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get that to maybe 85% someday. So think so, of a clever slogan that defines what you're trying to do and right. keep that in your head. Yeah. Keep that in your head. Very, very cool. Um, and and that's also kind of like an organizational problem that I see all the time. Organizations that are focused on 500 things and it's really hard to tell the organization, Hey, we need to prioritize on this one thing or these two things because the other 499 people or priorities, someone loves that priority and they are going to be like, hey, why are you dissing me? And I think as activists, we have to realize that we we can't be everywhere at once. We can't do everything today. So it's better to say, you know, for the next six months, we're going to have one priority and maybe two or three would be nices. 
And that's really difficult because historically, the left has not been good at that. You know, if you remember ACT UP in the late 80s, early 90s, they wanted their first priority was a cure for AIDS, which is, I mean, noble, you know, something I, I support. But they also said, you know, the reason that AIDS is such a, a political football is because of, for economic reasons, for racism reasons, for poverty reasons. And a lot of their members wanted to solve all four of those, right? We're going to solve racism and poverty and homophobia and AIDS. And that created strife within the organization. And by the way, I'm not a historian. I'm not an expert in this area. I was reading, you know, Village Voice and other, you know, accounts of what was going on in that group. And, and I'm certainly not saying that racism is not important. I'm just saying that I find that, and I'm certainly not saying homophobia is not important or not part of why, what made AIDS such a, a and I'm being polite by saying political football. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm, it was, I'm it was one, ignored. We're about the same age. AIDS was, yeah. I, I, I cry if I talk about it too much. But, uh, you know, back then before the, the cocktails and all the other stuff, you know, in the late 80s, things were fucked up. And can I say that on your, maybe. You no. can fucking say anything okay. you want on our show. Okay, good, good. <laughs> but uh, from a project management point of view, from a very cold, unemotional project management point of view, if you look at when things really started moving, it's when they said we were focused on AIDS the homophobia and racism and poverty issues are contributing factors. They're making our job difficult. We need to overcome them, but we can't cure we can't cure all four of those things at once. Mm. And I know I'm going to get hate mail for, for saying that because I'm not I'm not saying that those are things we should give up on or that they're not important. I'm saying that organizations are more successful when they when they focus. Right. I, I hear you saying that intersectionality is before we were using that term in the 80s, we weren't really saying right. that in the 80s, but it's it's hugely important. It's, it's and, huge. and at the same time, you need to think about your strategy based on what you're creating your particular organization for and about. Is that what you mean? Essentially? Yeah. And by the way, I love the word intersectionality. And, and actually, before that was a term, I used to always be wearing a button that had, um, it was a circle, written, the letters in the circle around the border said uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, and in the middle it said, see the connection. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've always thought that, like, you know, each one propels the other. Like, it's like three... This, I, I'm terrible at making metaphors, but if you think about like swimming, you know, if you're, if you're three people are pushing a boat or something and three people are kicking, all three are propelling the, the boat, the, the boat of what's making. <laughs> okay. This is the worst analogy ever. Actually a better, a better metaphor is, is a rowboat. If you have four people in a rowboat, if they're all rowing in different directions, you're not going to go very far or very fast. But if you are all rowing in the same direction, if you're all in alignment in your priorities, you're going to go so much faster. And maybe your priority is curing AIDS, 
And is racism, sexism, and homophobia part of that? Absolutely. But the way you help people that are in those categories is often by meeting the goal, right? Mm, like, mm-hmm. well, I feel like if you if you allow if you let those all of those issues inform your work and you go into it with an awareness and a consciousness of understanding what's what's at play, mm-hmm. that feels to me that that can make your particular goal easier to reach and and your your work more effective. Sure, sure. And just disclaimer, I'm I'm a white guy. You know, I have a, I have a good job with amazing healthcare. I am I am not one to speak about, you know, I I I realize I'm speaking from a very privileged and a very lucky person. You know, I was born in a great zip code. Um and uh you know, but I I think we, I think we have to stay we have to let those like you said, we have to let those things inform us, but not well, you know, being bisexual, it's all about balance, right? It's there, there's no, you know, <laughs> you know, zero to to yeah, we're it's a spectrum. And um I look at that for everything and and projects get done, you know, oh actually here's here's the the other thing that I want to say about it is as activists, we want everything to happen right now. I mean, I want everything to happen right now. I gave that laundry list of you know cur- everything from curing world hunger to etc. I would love those all to happen right now, but the reality is is that things do take time. And I think about I think about the trans movement in New Jersey. So in 1991, the big effort was the would call the gay rights bill or technically the amendment to the law against discrimination, which, which passed, it was, I mean, in 91 trans rights were not anywhere near where they are today. Right. In, in fact, when that bill was being worked on assemblymen and senders would say to us directly, there's no trans stuff in here. Right. I mean, they didn't use those words cause <laughs> it was nineties. Um, and, but they would say, you know, if there's anything about, you know, these cross-dressers, I'm not going to endorse this bill. Right. And the bill was devoid of anything about, you know, trans rights. But the good thing was, is it didn't have anything explicitly negative about it. So that left the door open. So that bill passed in January of 92. The intentionally vague wording in that bill left the door open for a court case that said, hey, this bill should be interpreted to include trans rights. And the court agreed. And then the trans rights bill passed New Jersey, basically saying, hey, the courts have said that we have to act this way anyway. This is just codifying what what we're doing. And so of this bill that you would say, oh, I shouldn't have supported it. It it wasn't trans inclusive, but it left the door open for the court case and then the law. And yes, it took six years, but they'd been working on this bill. That bill had been introduced into the state legislature uh, every year for 10 years. You know, these things take time. And not only that, but the trans people that worked on that bill that wasn't trans inclusive networked so well while working on that bill that they built up the allies that they needed to pass later things. So 
that's what gives me hope. It's it's not that I'm saying, well, I am saying we can't do everything at once because that's just physically impossible. But I'm saying that if you take the long view, things build, and and maybe I'm just you know stupidly optimistic, but. And and also I have the 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 luxury of time, right? <laughs> that was you know twenty years ago. Uh, now I can think about it and see that you know the the trans people that were working on that had took it slow and did all the right things. That sounds really really good. I I you know I sometimes think of so many issues you know that we have going on too. And so one of the things I wanted to think about today is what. Well, a couple of things. First of all, just practically, and I, I do I do like your sort of practical way of thinking about politics. We need all kinds. I think we need the people to really push the envelope and people to say, okay, this is this is where we this is where we are. What strategically can we do next, you know, uh, to get to the next best place? So what can we do right now ahead of the election? I mean, I know we have to get out the vote. What do you think are the most important steps right now that we can do? Or again, is it just choosing your your little corner that makes that you resonate with? Well, I definitely have my long view of you know where in the next ten years where should we be and stuff. But to get there, there's there's a lot of three month goals that are going to get us to uh, to that. And for the next three months, goal is is getting um, defeating Trump, getting Biden in the White House. And I think that's all about get out the vote. It's getting the far left to vote, whether that's hold your nose and vote, or I think we need to stop fighting ourselves and fight Trump. So I'm trying to make a commitment to when I have a friend who's, you know, I, I'm very lefty, but I have a lot of friends who are further left than I am. And they say, oh, there's no way I'm voting for Biden or whatever. And I used to get in arguments with these people. And I'm trying to make a commitment to instead befriend those people and say, hey, I want to understand what you're talking about. And also, you know, acknowledge that I can't change the past, but like, how can we work on this in the future? I, I'm kind of pessimistic that any you know Trump voters are going to be converted. So I don't argue with them in social media anymore. I purely focus on my my left friends that and centric friends that you know. How can I make sure that they do get to the polls, that they get registered, that they vote by mail or, or whatever they're they're going to be doing? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that is actually a really good time management thing and 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 a critique of our you know progressive communities. I think that we can spend a lot of time arguing with ourselves, yeah, about all kinds of things. <laughs> Yeah, in college, I had a professor who said the uh, women's studies professor who said the the great thing about radical feminist theory is you get to argue with people that you agree with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need to call a truce and look at what's who's for the next three months. What's what's the real goal here? Because I think that if Trump is reelected, we th we think the gloves are off now. We think. I think if he gets reelected, the gloves are really going to be off and we're going to, he's going to make these last three and a half years look like a, you know, a, a cakewalk. Yeah. That's not the right metaphor, is it? We're going to be wishing for, this is, you're going to be, we're going to be wishing for 2020 
because 2021 is going to be so much worse. Tom Lomincelli's book of metaphor is going to be the next. <laughs> Worst book ever. I can, I can wrap up with two of my time management tips that relate yes. to this. That's okay. So one is the small batches principle, right? If you have, you know, a whole sink full of dishes and you haven't washed the dirty dishes and you're, you know, I'm sure this never happens to you, Robin, because you're awesome. But for me, sometimes <laughs> the pile of dishes gets so large that you just, you know, don't want to deal with it at all. If you just do one pot or pan, maybe while you're waiting for the microwave oven to, you know, finish a, you know, heating your tea or whatever, just do, if you do just one one dish every time you walk by the pile, things will get done. And that applies to you know, activism, you know, on the, on the long 10 year, 20 year scale, as, as well as just little things, you know, I, I've written a number of books, each one of them was written one paragraph at a time. And some days, all I did was write one paragraph. So so that's one thing. So the small batch principle, don't try to do everything. Don't try to do a big batch, try to break projects into small, you know, one thing that you repeat every day, like one dish every day until you get the pile done. And the other thing is time boxing. Sometimes we have something that should only take 20 minutes, but two hours later, we're still working on it. Time boxing is where you say, no, I'm, I'm going to set, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a 20 minute job. And what I actually do is I, I tell my phone, I speak into my phone. I say, um, set a alarm for 20 minutes from now. And then I, that puts me in a time mindset of, What's a 20 minute version of this task, right? It helps me stay focused and not run off and checking email because I only have 20 minutes to do this, but also it helps me work on my perfectionism because I'm not trying to do the perfect job. I'm trying to do the 20 minute job. Yes, yes, yes. That is the best advice for me for sure. <laughs> and I do this at work all the time. People will say like, like I, I'm a manager and I'll, I'll give somebody something to do and they'll say, oh my God, that'll take me three weeks to do. I say, no, no. Give me the two-hour version. Like, well, it's gonna suck. I'm like, no, that's all I want. I want the two-hour version, and that's you know good enough. Eighty percent is better than zero. I'm sorry, eighty percent today is better than zero percent a week from now. That is the truth. <laughs> so, thank you, Tom. Do you have any virtual events coming up or anything else you want to let people know? I do. The, well, the message I'm trying to get out is I I'm teaching my time management class for free for any political campaigns that I agree with. So anyone trying to defeat Trump. So if, and it, it's amazing how difficult it is to get in contact with campaigns because, you know, everyone's contacting them about every crazy little thing and they should pay attention to my crazy little thing, which is <laughs> I'm trying and, oh, crazy is a word we're not supposed to use anymore. I mean, I mean, crazy in the most polite sense <laughs> or self-deprecating sense. Uh, my goal is to teach a hundred tech workers at political campaigns, better time management in the next couple of weeks. So if any of your listeners can put me in contact with any, you know, Senate, presidential, whatever campaigns, I will teach your, your, your Sysmin team or whatever they call it, sometimes digital team or tech team or DevOps team. I will teach them time management. And my goal is, I believe that people who take my time management, my one hour time management class are 10 to 20% more productive and so I picked 100 people because it would be like giving the campaigns an extra 10 people working to defeat Trump. So please try to connect me. 
That is excellent. Thank you so much, Tom. It was great you, talking Robin. with you, I and that is a great offer. All right. <laughs> Take care. Hello, my name is Dylan Carmichael, uh, founder of RBM. I like long walks on the beach, and you are listening to Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Why is this awesome? So this is our Why is this awesome segment, and we put this in here for for us to talk about something that we discovered recently or even before that we think is awesome and we just want to bring it to your attention because it's it's not exactly the same as as the geekscape because that's some more of a geeky that's more <laughs> when you get into the weeds of something right yeah so this time i at the behest is that the word i don't know the encouragement of my daughter i watched Mrs. America. And then I kind of asked my other two co-hosts to watch at least some of it. It's, it's an eight hour commitment. And, you know, I called them up like three days before we're going to, we're going to record say, Hey, watch eight hours of this show. <laughs> so I don't know how much of it they did watch. They watched some, but I, they'll, and they'll tell you in a minute. I avoided watching it when it first dropped on Netflix. Was it Netflix? It's Netflix, right? Hulu. No, Hulu. 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 Sorry, sorry. I I have a lot of different streaming services. I cannot keep track of what I'm watching on what. So it's on Hulu. When they first started advertising it, it was like I looked like it was just about Phyllis Schlafly, and I remember her being alive, and I remember kind of doing a, a ding dong, the witch is dead when she finally died, and I really didn't want to have to revisit all of that because I kind of remember it from the first time, and it wasn't a fun thing. But my daughter talked me into watching it, and and I did watch it, and it actually is really good. All right, the first thing I want to say is the casting of this show was brilliant. Everybody looked enough like the people who they were supposed to be that you knew ex if you lived through this time, you know, when, when um, Margot Martindale, who plays Bella Abzog, just showed up on screen, I go, oh, that's Bella Abzug. And I also recognize, you know, um, Martindale. Uh, she's gotten kind of this quasi-fame from BoJack Horseman because she, she played herself on BoJack Horseman and they were always talking about her. And, you know, she's she's like this character actress that ends up on like, like a dozen different series all over the place. And she's very- Yeah, good. you always say, oh, there's that woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Schlafly was played by Kate Blanchett and she I think she did a really good really good job. Um Uzu Aduba played Shirley Chisholm mm. and and uh and other than her size, because I kind of remember Shirley Chisholm being a very small tall, thin. small. You know, she wasn't tall, I don't think. She was just she looked compact. Um, but her face, her face and her, her voice and, and how she acted, she, she nailed that part. And they made up at least one character who was Schlafly's sort of friend who, who I, and that's kind of what I think is awesome. And it's also why I think 
they they put this show on right now. And I, I know, Mary, you were saying that you, you were avoiding the show because um, yeah, the, I Gloria had, Steinem was saying it's inaccurate. Yeah, Gloria Steinem and one of the other women, I forget what what name, they were given copies of the script to approve. Mm. And they did not approve them. But <laughs> it, it went ahead anyway without any changes. And oh, okay. so they put an article and I could not find the article. I'm sorry. And she was saying it was not that there was there was different people in there. She was saying that the dynamics of the arguments were were inaccurate. Mm, okay. I mean, yeah, it was it's definitely a 2020 perspective on on the the women's movement of the 70s. Yeah, so plus, plus, plus time they're doing the story brought through like from what point to what point? Uh, because I watched, I did watch the first two episodes. But right. I, I mean, it goes, it goes, it starts, I think, around maybe 70. The, around 70 or the late 60s, whenever the ERA made it through Congress. And it, 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 it kind of just, it was a bipartisan amendment to the Constitution. It went through Congress, the president signed off on it, and then it was up to, they needed, what is it, 33 states, 38 states to ratify it. To mm-hmm. put it in the Constitution, um, and it, it it ends somewhere. It goes up to Reagan, okay. so it's that like seventy five. No, al- almost eighty. Reagan, eighty, yeah, 80? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I I haven't watched the whole thing, so right. I didn't know when it ended. Um, but it it's and each episode is named after almost all of them. I think the last is named after a person, and that's kind of who's the focus of that episode during the the whole thing and what Schlafly did and what it looks like you're basically seeing you know the progressive movement happening and and all of the the infighting going on between you know all of the the subgroups within within the women's movement you know the black women and the latina the latina women and white women and all of this stuff the gay women and gay women yes thank you <laughs> that was a big big sticking point was was whether they were going to bring up the whole gay thing during a lot of the the conventions and stuff i mean you see you see stuff about the 70 the 72 election the you know the the whatever those meetings that they the parties have to pick their gods conventions the things that just happened on, yeah on the thing Zoom. that just happened it's like, <laughs> or it's like my my brain does not have the words readily available anymore as I'm getting old. Well, you have the best um, words. <laughs> yeah, but I can't yeah, remember all the best them. words. All the best all words. The best words. <laughs> um, but what you see is how the conservative movement dragged in the evangelicals and it dragged in all of the, the, the white supremacists. You see that whole coalition getting built. Yeah in the 70s and it's really that part is really interesting and there's this this one character who's let me see if i can find her in this list can i interject real quick yes please interject the uh when phyllis schlafly brings in the bathroom scare argument with the era (laughs) movement that was like oh my god i didn't realize it went back all the way to that 
if that, yeah. that's true that she was saying that oh well yeah. if men and women are equal then we won't have this we'll have all this one bathroom right, you know? right. and i was like really that they've been saying this since then yes they've yeah. been they've probably been and saying it before that your that. daughters are going to get drafted that this was all going on while i was in college and and the uh vietnam war was still going on and it was kind of a thing to think about you know i didn't want to get drafted yeah but they were they were also going to end the draft, which they did. Yeah. So, well, but yes, I know, I know. And my, and I used to watch that and my draft number came up pretty high at one point. And I was, I, I we used to just sit there and watch television, watch them pull the birthdays mm. out of the lottery. It was scary as shit. And he, I wasn't even, I, A, I was too young and B, I was a girl. So it wasn't affecting me, but it did. Mm. But there's this character played by Sarah Paulson named Alice McRae. And I don't know if she's a real person or not. It's, I tend she, I think she's a conglomeration of I a couple think, different people. But her, the reason she's in there, because yeah. you, you don't know this because you haven't seen the whole series. And if you haven't oh, seen the yeah. series, I'm I, going to spoil the shit out of it right now. Um, <laughs> I'm good with Alice, that. <laughs> the Alice McRae character is, you know, Schlafly's best friend or whatever. And, and she's she starts out as a conservative, but by the end of the series, she has rejected it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the point of this series. It is a path for women who, who think of themselves as conservative to, it's a path for them to get away from that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there's a, there's a, and I don't have the exact quote now, which is sad, but they're at um, the women's, it's a convention for women yeah. and it was a big, the big deal. And it was uh, like the presidential commission on women. And they had this big commit, this big convention and uh, they put Bella Abzug in charge of it. And the, um, the stop ERA people were also there and they're in this back room talking. And this Alice character asks, you know, what are we fighting about? Why, what is this? I mean, you know, cause it, cause it's, you know, there's, there's the, there's the woman who they got so this. Schlafly wasn't there too. No, no, yeah. she was. So they home. could talk without her. Right. And she, well, it was, it was really sad. <laughs> Actually, she asks all these questions like, who are we fight? You know, why, you know, who are we fighting and, and what is the purpose of this? And all of the other women in the room looked at her blankly. And then the woman in charge says, well, let's go do this thing. And they all leave, you know, but I mean, the questions were really valid <laughs> and, and it was like, um, Schlafly had this and, and the reason she had any political power at all is she had built up this 40,000 name mailing list mm. and, and she swiped from that crazy gun lady. Well, the crazy gun lady well, she got more people. The crazy gun lady was the one, she was definitely a white supremacist. And she made some, something about, uh, she made some statement about how Jesus wants you to hate certain people. Mm. You know, I mean, she, she's. Oh, that sounds like, accurate to the point. Oh, well, there's like some of the epitome of that. And, 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 and she was the one that brought the KKK into that group. Yeah. Yeah. But what I am saying is that she had a much bigger mailing list than, than oh, Schlafly than had. did? Yeah. Okay. And that's why Schlafly's eyes lit up when she mentioned how oh, many yeah. people she had on her mailing list. And that's why she was dealing with her at all. Was yeah, I know. She thought that that gun lady was kind of a kook. 
but, yeah, but she, she wanted her mailing bed, list. She got into bed with them. Yep. And and the whole thing about when they were talking about Reagan and and how he was like there was a yeah, they were using the words that, that we've been hearing about Trump. Yeah. You know, he's a maverick. He's not political. He's not from the political machine. He's an outsider. He's all of this and that. Yeah, he'll shake and, up the system. <laughs> well, it's basically, he's e easily manipulatable. Yeah, and, they think. And well, and and it's also, you know, and they there were two young men who, you know, their names that you hear like Manafort and and the other guy. And it's like, uh, OK, uh, they were around for this. Mm. And it was it was Roger Stone was around. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it was Manafort and Stone. They were they were there. Yeah. There were two people yeah. kept playing. I mean, Roger, Roger Stone has a. Uh, tattoo of Nixon. Nixon tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so, gross. so, yeah. so in in those terms, this series is awesome, especially if you're not, you know, a, a, a sexagenarian. Oh, that's sexy. Sex. I am a sexagenarian. I'm in my sixties, <laughs> so <laughs> that explains a lot. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I okay. found I found it interesting for myself in that it it explained a lot and because i could never understand why these women were fighting against their own interests you know <laughs> like why were they taking well, this still, side and working so hard at it and they're still fighting against it yeah and i still i still am confused about the these people who are doing this we have a good friend who who where she was a good friend of ours and she voted for trump and it's like why the heck? I don't understand it. I was but, thinking about that that person. And, yeah. you know, I think my take on that is that she wants to feel equal. She wants to feel special. And she likes the idea that she likes the idea of that sort of old school I, that thinking that a woman is treated in a certain way that's special yeah. and unique. Yeah, and, up uh, on a pedestal. You're right, right. And it's, you know, and if you think, I mean, and that there, that person isn't into like the traditional family and motherhood and all that. But I think the people in this story were feeling like that was what was being threatened because that's what they are thinking was yeah. their ideal. Well, that's where it started. It yeah. started that. Yeah, but it, it's also coming from such a place of white privilege. Yeah, it, 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 it was, I mean, it was like that that luncheon. There was a the scene they were having a luncheon, and they're talking about you know how we don't want to have to be a mother and have to go to work while all these black women are feeding are serving them fucking food. It's like yeah. oh my god, that, yeah, I, like that my, really, my really brain strong. like exploded. It's like can you not see the irony? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, when they were baking the bread to give to the congressmen, oh. and I, I bet that all their maids were the ones who yeah, baked the bread. It's all they didn't rich white ladies. It's like God, fuck all of you. <laughs> like, oh, I was, I was getting so crazy watching that. But so I have but, a question about yeah. how real is that sort of tension between Betty Friedan and uh, Gloria Steinem? Because I wasn't really aware of that. Oh, I have no idea. I, um, was... I I looked it up, and apparently it was. Yeah, I mean, because Betty Friedan, see, according to the show, Betty, Fr and I don't know. I have never read the Feminine Mystique, um, but she was definitely anti-gay, and that was a sticking point. Wow. Mm. Okay. You know, mm, it, know it's 
Yeah. Well, it's that, like- that was a question that I had too. Was about Betty Friedan. Was how much of that was real? And apparently, the I thought the- Tracy Ullman was amazing. I, by the way, <laughs> I played- I had I had my doubts about it. I think she because I don't know. Maybe I just always think of Tracy Ullman as funny. I just thought that it was <laughs> a little bit too much. She just went a little bit over the top. Really? Yeah. Okay. I felt. I don't know. But that's I, interesting. I, I would I would like to learn more about that just in terms of the history of the different factions in the feminist movement. Yeah. I'm really aware of that split so much. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's also like I said if you're not a sexagenarian or older, you were probably too young to have been aware of it while it was going on and certainly if you're, you know, my daughter's age, not you didn't you weren't alive. So it's it's a good historical fiction to watch to get an idea, at least to, to see which aspects of the early women's movement might interest you to to study more about it. Um, mm. And and I I like it as as this roadmap for converting conservative women to a more progressive stance. Yeah, you know, I, that, yeah. I I think too though that um, it is a TV show. And yeah. in order to tell a story, do a TV show, you have to make sure there's conflict to make it interesting. So I think that those things were heightened a bit in the story, I think. Or they, they focused so much on that to make the story more interesting. And it, uh, so that I found disturbing. The, the thing that I always found disturbing, and especially when I was living through this too, is the idea of, there was a time when we, as women, we did not have rights. We couldn't run things. And the men were running everything. And the men did a terrible job. And they they were fighting with each other and competitive and stuff like that. And there was the idea of if we women were in charge, everything would go much more smoothly. But then it didn't. It, you could see these women were in charge of this thing. And they still had the infighting every, everything. And I... I guess what I have to say is that there's an assumption that we shouldn't be like that, but women are human beings. It's a human quality. So yeah, that some of them don't get along that it's human. But did you not, I don't know if you got to the episode with, the, I got to the, the Bella Abzug episode. Oh, okay. And is that the one where they did the convention? Yeah. I'm, just at, that, convention? I'm just at that oh, point. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to, well, I do want to spoil it. There was a, a scene where the conserv- a couple of the conservative women- They're backstage? Because, well, it was, no, they got, like, the hotel was overbooked, so they ended up sharing with- Oh, no, I with, didn't see that. Well, they end up sharing with this black woman and her daughter who was having a meeting with uh, <laughs> with Gloria Steinem and a bunch of other people, and the two of them are, like like, laying in the bed pretending to sleep. And these like eight women are coming up with a strategy and, you know, they're, they're getting consensus as, as opposed to, you know, Schlafly just ordering people in Uh a very hierarchical Uh power structure. And then one woman is like looking at this, like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm going, oh yeah, that's great. And then I keep thinking about our former coven and and how we used to, to the the agony trying to get consensus with stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's a really it 
theoretically, it's a really great way to run things, but in practice, it doesn't always work. It's hard, but it's <laughs> but like my, you know, some kind of modified version of it. I think, like democracy, larger groups, but it's a good, you know, that's an but ideal. Yes, it is. It is. And it, I was just, I, it amused me to watch that one scene <laughs> to say, wow, that's really, they're getting consensus in 30 seconds. It's like, when does that happen? That's too funny. <laughs> so the music is cool in this show. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And the music's very good. The theme song yeah. is a is a fifth of Beethoven. And I yeah, hadn't heard that, that until long. Popular. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I, I used to run to that, that recording, um, the um, electrified Beethoven. Right, right. Yeah, it was neat. But thanks for introducing this uh, yeah. to me. It's one I hadn't hadn't thought about watching, you know. So it's kind yeah. of cool to hear it, and it's uh, I could get it's, it could spark a lot of interest of things I want to study more of that. Yeah, and, and if and if you're you know listening and you're interested and you watch the show and you have thoughts, tell us. We'd love to engage in a dialogue. <laughs> and <Absolutely. laughs> and it's like at the very end they give you like the little historical notes about you know who because because this year was it or 2019 rather it's this year november at the end of 2019 which kind of is this year but not really uh virginia was the 38th state to pass the era so it finally passed it pa well no but now it's expired right the time it expired but but that expiration thing is actually an artificial thing put on there it doesn't really count well yeah but right now mitch mcconnell is keeping it in well, place i mean we could actually if we if can we argue get, it yeah we if we get a progressive or a a non if we if we flip the flip house, house if we flip the if we flip congress if we flip the senate and we get Biden in there, we may actually get the ERA in in meshed into the er, ensconced in something in in engraved in included yes. included. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the word I want either. But um, into the Constitution for real, um, mm -hmm. and and that would be nice. But when the, all those little factoids came up at the end, I was like, I get always tear up when I see you know when we we get go you go through this whole emotional watching this thing and then you see how it really ended up and it's like oh it's sad but there's hope mm. i don't know there is it'd be nice it would be nice to have it in ensconced <laughs> <laughs> in the constitution in something in something does ensconced mean a sconce on the wall and it's in something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Thomas Limoncelli. Web hosting by InMotion. And remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.